You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, friends, thank you so much for tuning in to Worshipology. This is a podcast geared towards worship leaders, worship teams, and worshipers of Jesus Christ. And our hope is just to equip you uh, with a greater understanding, biblically, practically, and spiritually, on how to live and lead a life of worship. And uh, today, I'm really excited. I've got my friend Elmer Kanyas on the other line. Elmer, say what's up, man. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah. Elmer, we met, gosh, it must have been almost 10 years ago during the One A Worship Collective project, right? That's right. We believe. We believe. And this is a a project that Integrity and the Assemblies of God collaborated on, bringing together worship leaders from around the country. And uh, at the time, I think you were based in Texas, right? Yeah, I was at a church in Dallas, Texas, Calvary Church. And uh, Elmer was singing, and since then we've gotten to hang out and write together, and just one of the greatest guys on the planet, phenomenal worship leader, incredible voice, and uh, man, excited to have you on the podcast. So Elmer, dude, just tell our, our listeners maybe a little snapshot of your story. How did you you know, get involved in worship and music and even songwriting, man? Yeah, all right. I'll try to be brief. Um, I've been doing this for <laughs> about 20 years now, or over 20 years, so there's a lot that's happened. But pretty much never thought I'd be doing this uh, as a child, as a teenager. Um, Mm. You know, in high school, I had aspirations to be an engineer and do other things in life. But um, as I was developing as a teenager, um, I was able to serve in my local church living in L.A. And it just it was something that as people gave me opportunities to to serve in church and to lead worship and to be part of our team, I just started falling in love with God, you know, and music and what music did Mm. for me was incredible. Um, I changed my major from engineering to, you know, music industry because it's something that I wanted to pursue. Um, But not knowing where it was going to take me, honestly, a worship pastor Mm -hmm. was never a thing I ever thought existed. Um, But just one thing led to another. I I got to serve with some pastors that used to travel and do um, like conferences and conventions in California. I used to play piano and uh, lead worship with them, um, which I loved to do. And when I turned 20, an opportunity came up um, to move to Dallas and to, to help and serve a pastor friend of mine. At the time, mm. he had taken over his brother's church and he needed a, a, what they called at the time a music minister. And yeah, uh, (laughs) there was no worship pastor, but then uh, I made the move from LA, uh, and came or moved to Dallas and I took over the position, was able to serve there for four years. And then just as most of our stories go, you know, you, you come into relationship with different people and relationships really open different doors. When my season was done at that church, um, that's when I ended up transitioning to uh, Calvary Church, which is in Mm -hmm. Irving, which is part of Dallas pretty much. And when I was there, I was serving as a Spanish worship pastor. So pretty much it was just the Spanish congregation. Um, It was a church of thousands of people, but the Spanish congregation was like 200. And, um, And I thought that was like the greatest thing in the world, honestly. Like I was... I was satisfied. I was um, excited to serve th- that team, uh, that congregation. And within a year's time, um, 
without me expecting anything, God opened the door and I uh, ended up becoming worship pastor for the entire um, church, like English. And I was, I was leading worship in students and in our youth team, young adults, Spanish, um, our English services. And, um, wow. and it just, it was something right there. And, and it was that season that it was like, I had to learn and I was stretched and I was developed into so many different things. Um, once you serve at, a, at that capacity where there's a lot happening, production and marketing and communications and a lot of things that you don't think are part of a worship pastor's role, but somehow mm-hmm. they're, somehow we, you know, it's all intertwined and we get to serve in those areas. And um, so, well, let me pause you for a minute because, yeah. you, you know, obviously like starting off leading Spanish worship and then kind of moving into this position where you're leading worship for the entire congregation. Do you bring some of that bilingual worship into the larger congregation? Of course, being in Texas, I mean, you guys have such a mixed congregation, I would imagine. But talk to me a little bit about that, because I do think, you know, obviously we're coming into we're starting a brand new year here, 2023. Um, the United States in particular is getting more and more multicultural every passing year. And I just know, like, uh, even in my time in D.C., like, leading Spanish worship, we did it once a month at our gala campus, which is in Northwest D.C., a high uh, concentration of just, you know, South America, Central America, Mexico. And uh, I loved it. I mean, I took Spanish classes in high school and I was one of the few guys in our class that didn't forget everything. Um, I love Spanish and, and, you know, been to Guatemala a handful of times. So just talk a little bit about that. Cause I think, um, you carry that gifting really well, how you can weave in. Cause I've seen you do it, weave in and out of it. What did that look like moving from leading Spanish worship pretty much full time to now you're, you know, overseeing the worship department at the entire church. Do you bring some of that with you? What does that look like? Yeah. So, just going back to that specific um, experience, that was one of the reasons why that opportunity actually opened up. Um, oh, wow. Um, I remember Pastor George, who was our, the pastor of the church at the time, he had mentioned to us how God had spoken to him that his church was too white. And Irving mm. is the most diverse um, city in all of Texas because you have DFW right there. And so it was, it was, mm-hmm. some, it, was it was a real personal conviction for him. And so that was part of the conversation. So knowing that that was his heart again, allowed me to step into that role and just be myself really. And, um, I think it's, it's beautiful whenever you're able to carry over who you are and your culture, um, into, yeah. into the sound of the house really. Um, you know, I wasn't trying to be anything else or become anything else. Um, I'd have musicians come in from different backgrounds and different styles of music. And instead of trying to box them in and like, like nowadays where they have to sound exactly like the multi-tracks, you know, um, mm-hmm. we would outwork everything in rehearsal. Everybody had a different sound and just like, our voices, just like our language, our instruments carried a different flavor. And I think you even talk about that in your new book, you know, many flavors. And, um, mm. and it was a beautiful thing just to bring in, we would do songs that are, were bilingual. We would, you know, if there was no interpretation or translation, sorry, I would just interpret, you know, translate like a chorus and 
Wow. And people would sing their hearts out like, you know, and they're not only worshiping, but they're also learning a new language. And um, we would have fun with it. We would play salsa music in church and, um, oh, that's awesome. you know, get everyone dancing for the Lord and stuff like that. So um, it, it's <laughs> awesome. I love when when the church gets to do that. And, and, you know, and you see it a lot more around the country now than you did back then. Wow. What would you say for somebody that's listening in that maybe, you know, maybe it's somebody that doesn't speak a ton of Spanish, like what would be a first like entry point into getting into that? Because, you know, maybe they just moved to a city or a new church where there is a large Spanish population. Um, you know, I think it is still number one language spoken worldwide. So yeah. um, whether, you know, you're leading worship on a mission trip to a Spanish speaking, predominantly Spanish speaking country or, you know, here in our backyard, you know, if you're starting a Spanish service, what would be that first entry point? And what are you seeing? I mean, because I, you know, I would say probably about 15, 20 years ago when I really started leading worship um, like more regularly, I just remember listening to a ton of Ricardo Sanchez. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Israel Houghton was doing a lot of bilingual worship and our church there in Nashville, uh, Oasis church at the time, uh, was, I mean, one of the most diverse congregations I'd ever been a part of up to that point. And then here I am now in the Richmond area, super diverse congregation too, and, and looking to, you know, make sure that like, yeah, multi-generational, multicultural, like how do we bring everybody into the room? I mean, we know what it says, right? Every tribe, every tongue, um, I think that's a picture of heaven. How do you do that well? And what's the first maybe step in that direction, Elmer? Yeah, well, um, I don't think there's a formula to it, but mm. you do need to know your audience. And um, I've gone into places where I've made the mistake of not being aware who I'm having the privilege of serving. And I prepare a whole set and I walk in the room and there's more Spanish speaking uh, people in the room than there is just, you know, just people that are, are just speak English for as a first language. And so my first mistake there was not knowing the audience because I, mm -hmm. I should have been able to lead in Spanish um, in that environment. But because I didn't do my research, you know, or I, honestly, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, I, I think I failed at a great opportunity there. Um, so, mm. so I've always said, you know, know your audience know what you're stepping into and be ready. Uh, just, just prepare your team, prepare yourself. Sometimes you might have it in your back pocket, but your your team, the volunteers that you're serving with, they might freak out if all of a sudden you start speaking in another language because they have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> you know, so um, it's- That's funny. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing you have to make sure you take your team on the journey and prepare them as well. But um, know your audience, know the people in your community, your church the heart of your pastor. I've been in places where I've been asked not to lead Spanish songs because they had mm. a Spanish service. So, um, and that oh, way, okay. that way you're not pulling the crowds apart and people say, Oh, I'll just go to the English service since they sing in Spanish. Um, so, um, you know, you just have to know, know where you're at. And then, um, if it is something that you're wanting to do and you're asked to do, or it's in your heart, obviously talk to your pastors, your leadership. Uh, and then, just, you know, introduce a chorus here and there every once in a while in Spanish. Um, mm. And you'll, you'll know, like you'll, you'll just, if you can, if you know how to read the room, um, you'll know when it's, it's, it's a God thing and people just start singing along. It's not a distraction. You know, it, a lot of times people will do it because somebody recorded a song bilingual and they think I want to do the same thing. And, uh, right. and only cause you heard it somewhere doesn't mean you should do it. 
So um, make sure it's, it's, it's a thing that the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. And, and you'll know. And even if you try it just because you wanted to, you'll know if, if it was meant for your church or not. But um, ultimately, it's a beautiful thing when it happens. Well, I really like that you, you, I've heard you say it several times, like read the room, know your audience. And I mean, bring us up to speed to where you are today, because it's kind of a totally different audience. I know now you're at LifePoint Church, which at some point in the last five years was the fastest growing church in America. Yeah. And you're in Clarksville, Tennessee, which, you know, home to um, one of the biggest army bases in the country. So probably a little bit different mm-hmm. of a congregation, but still super diverse. Um, talk to us a little bit about what does that look like leading worship there? And then maybe even, um, you know, what are some of the best practices as far as leading a team in that environment and, and helping create that worship culture in that environment? Yeah. Um, it's, it is really different, man. Um, just being in churches where you just step on the platform and you just say Jesus and like the place goes on fire, you know, and (laughs) I love that. And like, you don't have to do a lot of exhorting and stuff like that. Um, I've been in those places, um, being here in Clarksville, it's a little different. Um, there's people, Mm. you know, people are a lot more reserved. Um, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more, I believe what I've been told the culture is different as far as even the nominations, um, in a lot of more Southern Baptists in the area or uh, sorry, Baptists in, in our city. And, um, and so it's just a, I guess just the approach on worship is completely different. A lot of reserved people. So one of the things I've had to learn or actually step into this season, instead of trying to recreate past experiences and even like I'm super passionate and I want to just like be jumping on stage and, you know, just when we have moments like night of worship and stuff like that, like we see that because you have all the people that love worship turn out. Right. And so it's incredible. Mm. But on a week to week, on Sunday services, every service is different. We have four services right now. Every service has its own dynamics because of the people in the audience. There's some people that they'll just stare at you while they're drinking their coffee. And, <laughs> and you just want to tell them, like, put that down, you know, just worship. But wow. uh, And then there's other services where people are just hands up, you know, just praising the Lord. And, and you can just see the passion they have for worship. And so... We're in. A I mean, pl- what would you say is the percentage of what would you say is the percentage of military families at your church? Because, yeah, Fort Campbell's right down the road, mm-hmm. um, and we're kind of in a similar situation with Fort Lee being so close to our church here in the Richmond area. But, it, do you think that reservation in worship is kind of a part of that uh, military lifestyle? Um, I I think maybe I'm, I don't want to put it on mm-hmm. just on that. Like I don't like to make excuses, right. um, you know, for culture. But I just think mm-hmm. I think that might play into it. And there's a lot of new Christians as well. And so oh, wow. because of the military, they're moving around and then they're just getting saved. And we see that, you know, there's people getting saved mm. every week, people getting baptized every month. And so, you know, that, that it's an awesome thing. And so there's a lot of baby Christians. So one of the things I'm learning is it, it's, it's we're at that place of teaching and our pastor is an incredible uh, teacher of the word. And, yeah. you know, that's one of the things we love to do. We don't just do things to do them. We, we always want to educate and, you know, through scripture. Um, and so even in worship, it's something that we're doing and we're starting, we started off this, this last part of the year and we we're implementing something called worship foundations. I'm running our entire mm-hmm. worship team through it, teaching them that, that what is worship, what is praise, why we do it. You know, what does the Bible say about it? What is our role in it as Christians, as believers? 
and we're we're trying so to we're trying to create the culture you know um culture is what you allow and I can just scream on the platform and people will just continue to drink their coffee and just like check their, <laughs> their Facebook and Instagram while we're worshiping. Right. But instead of doing that, we're wanting to educate and, and shift the culture from the inside and, and even make that available to our church. We're like, Hey, we want you guys to learn how to worship at a whole nother level. And so, um, that's, wow. that's, it's, it's a different environment for me honestly especially coming from mm-hmm. spanish speaking churches you know spanish churches are real oh man yeah you know real hype and passionate when it comes to <laughs> anything anything music related honestly and um yeah. so for me it's it's a it's a new new season and and it's taken me to a place where i have to pastor people through this experience versus just like you know it's not just creating an experience um it's actually mm. leading people through it so yeah, it's a little different. Well, talk to me a little bit about that worship foundations. Is that like a small group you're doing with your team? Is it something you open up rehearsals with? Or is it kind of more out of one-on-one coffees? What does that look like? And is that a curriculum that you're writing? Or is it kind of more just off the cuff, on the fly? Hey, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 123 or something like that. <laughs> well, it's something that we started when I was at our church in, in Irving and at Calvary, um, Gateway mm-hmm. Church, I know a lot of people are familiar with Gateway. They're one of the greatest churches at resourcing their volunteers and they're, you know, um, just with anything for, you know, from vocal lessons to learning an instrument. And one of the things that Zach Neese started, I think, mm. in like late 2000s was a class called Worship Foundations. And, and it, it would just unpack everything from the definitions of worship, praise, you know, the, the tabernacle. And so it, it was like a six to 10 week course. And, uh, just over the years, it's something that I've carried with me, um, you know, in teaching other people, we've modified it to, for us here at Clarksville. It's a, it's a six week, a thing, a six week course. And, um, mm-hmm. at, at the moment we introduced it to our team, it was 30 minutes before rehearsal and we would run our entire, we ran our entire team through it. And, um, wow. and we're in the process of, um, filming videos where we can make, just condense it a little bit more to 10 minute mm-hmm. videos. And then it would be part of our, our onboarding. So before people come in and they, they do their final interview to be on worship team, we would ask them to go, go through this, these six videos and, mm-hmm. and then unpack it with them in person. And just, you know, I want people to understand the basics of what worship is and our our philosophy of worship at LifePoint. Wow. Now talk to me a little bit more about your onboarding process because that, you know, having to watch six videos and really understand it, that's so key because I think you have people that will come in with an already solid foundation of your culture and how worship really shifts the atmosphere and what you guys are looking to do at LifePoint Church in particular. But uh, what as far as like, do you get any pushback on that? Like, oh man, well, I just want to come in and play drums. Or is it kind of something where everybody's like, you know, fully embracing that? And is it something that you've had to um, really instill in the culture there? Yeah, it's that and everything you said, um, pretty much. <laughs> um, because there's a variety of people, people that have been in church, people that are new Christians, people that have been in church their whole life, but have never served. You know, um, you have the whole gamut so it's it's really different per individual, um, but part mm-hmm. of our onboarding, you know, you have your audition. You have uh, we have to do background checks at our church, so they'll do a background check. Um, 
well, actually, they'll do their next steps, then they'll do a background check, and then we start them with our, our workflow in worship, um, which is the audition. Then they they have to do interviews, and part before before the interviews, they'd have to watch the videos. And um, the purpose of that is because people come from so many different backgrounds. Once they, mm-hmm. once they watch the videos, and then when we're able to sit down in person, um, it allows us to really unpack expectations um yeah a lot of people think it's this is hey i'm just gonna play an instrument i'm just gonna sing but there's uh we we actually hold at least i do i hold our our worship team members at a higher standard than most of our dream teamers and um, Mm. i even tell them like i hold i'm holding you to the same standard that we hold our staff honestly um wow because i tell them like like i want you to understand like we're trusting you with a microphone in front of thousands of wow. people, you know, every Sunday, every time you get to serve, it's an awesome privilege that we have um, to serve God and 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 our you know our church, our community, and so I just want them mm. to feel the weight. Honestly, uh, a lot of times people are just thrown into you know opportunities to serve because of their gift, um, mm-hmm. but I've I don't think I don't think man like not I can't be impressed by people's talent when it comes to church because mm. it's not the place for that. And so I've had people come in and tell me like, I sing better than you or I could play better than this person. And, oh wow. And that's amazing. You know, and I, I, I celebrate them for it. But again, that's not the heart of what we do and why we do what we do. So right. that worship foundations, that interview, it allows people to realize, okay, it doesn't matter how much I know, like they don't need my talent. Like I need to surrender mm-hmm. my heart to this because this is a calling from God. And, um, I want people to feel the weight of like, I get to do this and like, I'm making a commitment. It's not, you're doing me a favor. You know, I think that's what a, right. lot, of, a lot of people <laughs> struggle with that in church, you know, because wow, as volunteers, a lot of volunteers feel like I'm doing the church a service. I'm doing them a favor wow. because they need my gift because they don't have a guitar player. They don't have a singer. And, um, and that's when it gets really hard because as leaders, we're like, well, I don't like their personality, but I need them. And I straight up Mm. tell them in our interview, like, Hey, like, I don't like, if I, if I need you, I can't lead you. And so I make sure to let them know, like, dude, say that again, say that again. If, if I need you, I can't lead you. That's so so good. And so, and that's because I want them to recognize that the moment that they become a necessity, like, like all of a sudden they're in it to fulfill a task and not, to serve God and to serve the people, you know? Wow. And so I want to make sure that all the hard conversations happen up front. And like, if people don't like me, like I pray God, you know, please help me. But, <laughs> but once they're in, dude, I love that though, because you're not afraid to go there. And I think that's really what it takes in a worship culture. It's like, dude, pride and praise cannot coexist. And I think there's just so much ego that's brought in to, a larger worship culture within the church capital C and as worship pastors, AKA shepherds, you really have to guard against that mindset and that spirit infiltrating your church and especially your team, man. That's so good. I love that. Yeah. And I, at that, at that point when we're at that moment, where like, we're just tearing walls down. Like I, I, I make sure I always ask them, like, I, I want you to give me permission. Like you saying, yes, like I'm going to continue like you're giving me permission to pastor you. And mm. I think that's one thing we, you know, just over the years, I've just 
I never used to do because people would just, you know, they were great at what they did. And so then you just, just let them go and let them step into the role. And again, mm. being in Clarksville with a different culture where there's more leading and pastoring, um, it, I think it slowed me down and taken me aback, you know, and realized like there's a lot more to leading a worship team than just chord charts and, you know, stage presence workshops yeah. and stuff like that. You know, it's, uh, it's <laughs> actually talking, being real with people and leading them from the beginning through the entire process. Dude. Well, I think you guys have such a unique church there because not only, you know, is it part of a military community and super fast growing, but your pastor, I love pastor Mike Burnett and actually just read uh, his book parable church last year. And you can just sense, I mean, I've sat in a couple services there and just sat under his teaching and one of the best Bible teachers I think I've ever heard um, in that pastor role, being a part of a great teaching church. um, How do you steward that in your worship ministry? I mean, you've you've talked a little bit about worship foundations and kind of taking that teaching, uh, gifting into the worship team. But what does that look like as far as like, are you guys writing songs out of the message? Are you guys taking uh, teaching moments into your actual service and unpacking songs? I mean, how do you steward that uh, mantle, I guess I would call it, of being a great teaching church and then kind of like implementing that into your worship culture? Yeah, um, definitely. We sit there and expectations are that we all have a notepad you know, and a pen taking notes in our services. Mm. And, and as, as I, as I write down notes, there's a lot of times that pastor Mike will say something and it'll just, it'll be like a song idea, you know, you just kind (laughs) of mark it down. And there's been Mm -hmm. several songs that we've introduced over the last year that have come out of his message and, um, the heart of his message, honestly, was a song that um, I wrote at the beginning of last year called Talk About Jesus. And he was just talking about evangelism. And so we wrote this easy song that, you know, just kind of became this anthem for a season for the church as we were talking about, talk about Jesus wow. and we're in the book of Acts, you know, and um, and then we we shifted things internally in staff. We, we started a staff chapel. Um, he was talking about and teaching us about, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to fill every space, to, to lead the way. And out of that came a song called Holy Spirit lead the way. And so, mm. so it, it is through a lot. And again, I teach our team be listening to what God is saying in the message and just through what we're doing as a church, we're a church that loves, wow. we love missions. We love serving our community. And so that's, uh, that's those are great opportunities for us to just capture what God is doing for us at destination. I mean, it's kind of the same thing, writing songs out of the sermons, out of the messages, and even kind of like, um, in a prophetic way of like, Hey, we're going to be doing this series in two months called blah, blah, blah. Would you guys consider writing a song for that to kind of be the groundwork and the anthem of that series? And, you know, right now we're about to launch a series called Set Apart. And so I've written a song called Set Apart that's all about consecration yeah. and, you know, just getting ideas like, hey, send me some of your notes, send me some of your sermon notes. And those turn into lyric fuel. And I love the fact that, you know, you're there on the front row taking notes and like writing things down because, yeah, I mean, as a songwriter, as an artist, as maybe I would even call us poets at times, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking you're taking these uh, lyrical ideas and taking a message, which let's be honest, like 
throughout my lifetime, I probably heard tens of thousands of sermons. I can't recall maybe three or four of them. But when you take that sermon and you put it into a song, okay, now we're talking because that song has got melody, it's got sticking points to it, and you're basically singing the sermon now. I mean, that's so good for, for anybody that's listening that's like, hey, how do we start a songwriting culture? Hey, sit on the front row and take notes when your pastor's preaching. That's it. That's it. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to sound like every other song. The, the heart behind that is just capture the heart of what God is saying and put it mm. into melody. And and honestly, as simple as it might sound, you know, it might be like a few lines in a verse and a simple chorus, but the congregation, your church automatically connects with that song at a whole nother level because mm. it's part of what they're learning and growing in as a community through the word and now through a song. So, you know, um, a lot of songs honestly are meant to be for local churches and, um, yeah, no, that's exciting. And that's, that's where we're, well, and I think, I think you've got to be okay with that. I yeah. think you got to be okay with that because there's so many, um, I talk to worship leaders all the time. They're like, man, we're trying to write this song and release this record. And we're really hoping that this song gets out there. And I'm kind of like, well, what does that mean to get out there? Like, have you, played it in your church are the people in your congregation connecting with it because if they're not connecting with it it doesn't matter if you put a hundred thousand dollars into marketing the song chances are it's probably not going to start any fires outside of your city if it hasn't started a fire within your church that's it and um i I think that's great man well dude let me ask you one more question as we're kind of coming to the end here um you know, we're starting a brand new year now. We're in January uh, 2023. I know you're somebody that prays in the Spirit. You hear from the Holy Spirit. What is the Lord uh, speaking to you right now in this season as we kick off a new year? Um, yeah, just I'd love to just, uh, I think this is going to be a recurring question I ask uh, worship leaders from here on out. I says, man, I just want to know what the Lord's speaking to you right now. Yeah, going into this new year, it's more of a challenge for me personally to step into my giftings of songwriting um for, mm. for many years it's something that i'll just do it every once in a while and and we'll sing a song in church like once once a year twice a year but i'm literally mm-hmm. writing songs like just about every day of the week and uh oh wow and and i don't do anything with it honestly i've done a few things here and there but um just as this year has been wrapping up i've just been challenged by by god and the holy spirit into like really not holding back what he's given me. And it's, I, I think I've used the excuse of, but I'm serving people. I'm doing other things. I'm already occupied. Right. I'm using my time wisely, you know? Um, but in reality, I feel like there's so much that God's given me personally that I've just kind of put to the side that can be a blessing to other people and lead people to Jesus. You know, I think that's the important thing. I'm not trying to make a name for myself, but if I can lead them through a song, that's a story, you know, it's a, just storytelling if it's a song that's personal to me or a worship song um i think that's something that i i really need to step into um part of that is devotion being in ministry for over 20 years you you get into your routines your devotion devotionals your prayer life you read scriptures you read so many books you know um you take bible classes you do all these things um but i just feel god challenging me to a whole other level of devotion honestly I don't know exactly mm. what that looks like, um, but, yeah. but I do know that my pen and paper is part of it. So that's why that's why I say songwriting for me next year is going to be real important because I really feel God's trying to um, he like he wants me to capture something that he's trying to express through my songwriting gift. 
Um, mm-hmm. And again, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that's that's the path that I'm that I'm preparing for. I love that because I think there's a lot of times where we get caught up in that season of, and it's so good for us, for our ego, for our pride to just push others forward and champion others. And man, man, go for it, go for it, go for it. But then oftentimes the the byproduct of that in not such a great way is that you start to kind of like in, in pushing up other people, you forget the dreams and the hopes and the songs even that God's given you. And I, mm-hmm. I love that you're not afraid to go there, man. And I'm excited to see what you release this next year. Excited to see what LifePoint releases this next Next year, man, dude. Thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. Hey, and um, listen, dude, I would love to. Uh, we're gonna share, um, you know, any music that you guys have been doing this year, or even what you've been writing personally. I'm gonna put that in our show notes. How can people uh, connect with you, Elmer? Yeah. Um, so we have music on all digital platforms under Life Point Creative, and then I have my mm-hmm. personal stuff under Elmer Cañas Jr. So it's it's all there available for people to enjoy love it man dude thanks so much for being with us today brother amen thank you you've been listening to worshipology with curtis parks to learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams you can visit curtisparks.com